This morning we looked at Matthew chapter 1 at some of the different truths found there, and we looked at some of the application. And there is one little section in there that is very exciting, one little word. It's a title, it's a name for Jesus that is Emmanuel. And it says right there that Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And as we just heard, or the, the words of the songs that the Flemings just played, is how the Emmanuel came to this earth, how it is God with us. And we think of Jesus when we think of the idea of Emmanuel. But I ask this question, is Emmanuel still true? Yes, it is, for Emmanuel is still with us. God is still with us, but it's not in the person of Jesus Christ, but in and His Spirit. And in fact, it is the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of each of us. If you have a copy of our church's statement of faith, we're going to look today at another point under the believer's position in Christ, having to do with Emmanuel, having to do with the Spirit of God. It reads as follows, We believe that upon receiving Christ as Savior by faith, the Holy Spirit takes up His residence within the believer and that He never departs. So many times in life, we may feel alone. We may feel weak. We may feel that we don't know what's next or how to proceed. I could ask you to raise your hands, but we'd all have to raise our hands. There's no sense. We all at times lack strength, lack wisdom. We all at times may feel lonely and sorrowful. So, out of all that we know from the Christian life, from the Bible, what one reality, what one truth addresses all of these things? It is Emmanuel. It is the fact that we have God with us. There is where there is hope. Now, sometimes, again, as we talked this morning, there are truths about God or thoughts about God which we have known for some time, which are basic fundamentals of the faith, so much so that we kind of just forget their significance. And we must not do that when it comes to Emmanuel. We must not do that when it comes to the Spirit of God. Oftentimes, in this time, especially as we look at the history of the church, the Holy Spirit of God is overlooked. Lots of reasons for that. Some of the reasons for it is that, especially in my parents' generation, there was a time in which there was a huge emphasis upon the Holy Spirit, but there was really more of an emphasis upon different um, what were taught as outflows of the Spirit, such as speaking in tongues and, and signs and wonders and miracles and focuses on those kinds of things that caused some people to react and almost get to the point where the Holy Spirit became a very, um, uh, I want to be careful how I say this, because in, in technicality, 
the, the Holy Spirit is living and vital and key to our lives, but almost just dismissed as a doctrine. Because lest we, we think of him too much in this way or that way, then it, we might get carried away in some of these different wild things. But that's a dangerous thing. We have to come back to the scriptures and understand that the Spirit of God is indeed a person of the Godhead, as we've already learned and as we've gone through our statement of faith regarding God and theology proper of who He is, that He is three persons in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not just some kind of force or power that um, is there that's impersonable, but is real and personal and living as a person and we find out inside of us. This is something that is unique and special in the age in which we live. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to John chapter 7. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit was something that was promised by Jesus. And it was promised as something that would happen at the time of Jesus, in the future. And we see this promise here described in John as referring to the Spirit as water. Now, this is a theme that is throughout the Scriptures. We find out that Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as living water in several passages in the Gospels. And here is one of them as the promise is made. It says in John chapter 7 and verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, you might hear that declaration and scratch your head and say, huh? I know I do. Well, you're not alone. For the Holy Spirit who inspired this record knew we'd all be scratching our heads, saying, huh? For then we find this little parenthetical description. Oh, I'm so glad. Here's a Holy Spirit commentary, lest we get confused as to what living water is. The Holy Spirit gives a commentary on what Jesus said. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Emmanuel, Jesus, was in their midst. And he says to them all, if you thirst, come to me, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. What Jesus is saying is, is that all of those who put their faith in him, who come to him by faith, believing and trusting in him, they will receive the Holy Spirit of God, who will quench all of their thirsts so abundantly that it will be as if the waters are flowing forth from them. Sometimes in our spirits, we are thirsty and we are dry. The Holy Spirit is the one who will bring about the living water we need 
He's the one who lives inside of us. He's the one who's flowing forth living water. Just as a practical application to jump forward, that's why Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, quench not the Holy Spirit of God. Imagine what kind of disaster would come by quenching a river. You, I, as Christians, have the Holy Spirit living inside of us as a flowing river of living water. That's awesome. But at the same time, how tragic it is when we choose to quench Him. We need Him. And here is the promise of the Holy Spirit. But then note here, this is the one who has not yet been given. Now, the Holy Spirit has had a ministry throughout all ages, but there is something very distinct and unique of the Holy Spirit's interaction with those who are in Christ in this age. And what all the distinctions are, we don't have time this morning to go into, and some of them are not real clear. But what we do know about this time period is significant and important. And that is, is that when individuals put their faith in Jesus Christ, receive Christ as Savior by faith, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within each believer. Not just the special ones, if there's such a thing, which there isn't. He indwells every believer. He lives inside of them. And here, Jesus describes it as a promise. So when did this come to pass? Take your Bibles and turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. For the promise is again given by Jesus. Here, moments before he departs. Notice in John, it says, the commentary is, that because Jesus had not yet departed, the Spirit had not yet been given. So now here, Jesus has been crucified. He has died for the sins of the world. He has been buried. He has risen again. And now, 40 days later... He is about to ascend up into the clouds to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And moments before this ascension, he declares, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall, future tense, here's a promise, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then he goes on to say that they shall be his witnesses. So we see in John that Jesus has promised that the Spirit would come, and that He would come as living waters, a river of living waters, flowing forth from believers. Here He says that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. And if we turn the page to Acts chapter 2, 10 days later, this is fulfilled. For it says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly they came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were seated. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here we see now that the promise has been fulfilled. Jesus made the promise in his ministry of the Spirit coming. At the moment before he ascended up into glory, he again promised it that it will come. Ten days later, here, it has come. It is an incredible truth that believers, Christians in this time have, the Holy Spirit living inside of them. In fact, sometimes we go and ask people if they are believers, and there's different ways of asking that question. 
I have found it interesting that they teach, as, as different curriculums or teachers teach different people how to witness, there are different kinds of questions that can be asked. And there's lots of good questions. But there's one that I don't hear many people talk about. But it's an interesting one that was used in the book of Acts. If you take your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 19, we find some missionaries coming to a city, and there they find certain disciples. Well, as we continue reading here, we find out these were disciples of John the Baptist. Now, this was a time in which we have, you might say, progressive revelation. God has revealed himself, and at this city of Ephesus, only truths that had come to that city up at this point were the messages of John the Baptist. And there were people who believed the true prophet of John the Baptist and were believers, but yet they weren't Christians. You say, how is that possible? Well, this time that was possible because as time went by, there was more coming here. And if you look here, it tells us in Acts chapter 19, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Well, Paul then goes on to explain to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and the incredible privilege that those who have believed in Jesus Christ receive the Holy Ghost. I think this is actually a good question to ask people whom we don't know if they're saved or saved. I love asking this question of people I already know are saved because they always look at me weird. They're thinking I'm some pine-up cult or something but it's a great question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says that when you trust in him, when you believe in him, you will will have living waters as if it's flowing from you. And that's the Holy Spirit, which means that if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. And that is a wonderful truth and a glorious truth. And it's a great question to ask both unbelievers and believers. Believers, it's a great start question to be able to develop to something. And um, for both believers and unbelievers, it is a great... the, The Holy Spirit is a key part of our Christian life and our faith in Jesus Christ. And so here we can see that true and demonstrated in the history of the church. And so what you've just heard is kind of a summary of the history of the promise of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then how it continues on to this very day. But throughout the New Testament, there is also doctrine regarding this truth, where it is clearly declared that when you believe on Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves inside and the Holy Spirit lives in you. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Last week we learned of the incredible truth of being in Christ. 
Do you know that being in Christ and united with Christ is connected with this doctrine? For here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, it says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. This says two things. One is that if you have received Jesus Christ and you are in Christ, then you are also in his spirit and his spirit is in you. But if you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not have the spirit of God, you are none of Christ's. So just as we believe the truth that we as Christians believers are in Christ, this is stating that if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God. This is saying that if you have the Holy Spirit of God, then you are in Christ's. But if you don't have the Spirit of God, you are none of His. And so this is a very important question for each of us to ask ourselves. Have I received the Holy Ghost? If you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can answer that question. Yes, for the Spirit of Christ lives inside of me, and I live in Christ. That will change our lives when we live in the reality of the fact that our life is intertwined with Christ and the very life, the breath of God is the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. If we take our Bibles and turn over to 1 Corinthians 12, we have it there also declared. Here, the Spirit of God is key to salvation. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit ghost. Well, is Jesus accursed or is Jesus Lord? If you have the Holy Spirit, you will profess him as Lord. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you will profess him as accursed. Now, put this in a practical way. Do we live as if Jesus is Lord or do we live as if Jesus is accursed? It is more than just what is said, though that is what is declared here. Do we say these truths not just with our mouths, with lip service, or do we say these things in the way that we live? Is Jesus our Lord? The point of this also is, is that when you've professed Christ as Lord, there is the Spirit of God that you have. Another scripture that deals with this is over in Ephesians. In our statement of faith, we declare that we believe that upon receiving Christ as Savior by faith, the Holy Spirit takes up His residence within the believer and that He never departs. 
Well, when we look at Ephesians chapter 1, we learn about Jesus Christ and about, again, the reality of being in Him. And as this truth is being presented, we look at verse 13. It says this, In whom, that is Christ, in Christ ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the order of flow is here is that you have heard the gospel, the good news of salvation, and you have believed that gospel, you have trusted in Christ, and thereby, after that ye have believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, what does it mean, sealed? Well, it's a guarantee. It's an authentic, uh, something that declares something to be authentic. It is that you are declared as real. And as we continue learning, we find that the sealing is unto the day of redemption. That is the day when our bodies are resurrected. There's lots of things we use seals for, and there are different ways that we use them. The Holy Spirit is himself the seal. It's not like you take and you lick the glue on an envelope and seal it. It's not like you take a rubber stamp or, or, or a wax stamp and you seal something of authenticity. It's not like you take and you put a sticker with a hologram in it to declare authenticity. No, those things are all just, you know, you could, you could really, really destroy and break all of those seals. But the seal that the Christian has is the actual person of God himself. He is the seal. And he is a seal unto the day of redemption. In fact, it goes on to declare him not only as the seal, this Holy Spirit of promise, there again, the promise till the day of redemption, but he's this, here described, he is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Our bodies are the purchased possession, and it will be redeemed in the last days, and it will be unto the praise of his glory. And the Holy Spirit himself is both the seal and the earnest, the little bit of the guarantee, which actually is really incredible to me, we could go on with this one here is intriguing. He's a spirit of promise. And the whole idea of earnest money is that you are giving a little bit now as an evidence and token that the rest will come. And I kind of find this incredible that the little bit of the inheritance we're given now as a guarantee that the rest will come is God himself. God himself, the Holy Spirit, is the earnest, the little bit given now as, as, as the earnest guarantee, as the evidence that the rest will come. I can't even hardly fathom that. Oh, will that make a difference in our lives? He never departs the difference it would make in our lives. You're there in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn over to chapter 4 where we see this practically applied. If the Holy Spirit is our earnest, if the Holy Spirit is our seal, if the Holy Spirit is the living water, let us heed the command in Ephesians 4.30. 
and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieve him means to make him sad. How do we make him sad? Well, if we look at the context of this here, it's oftentimes by the things we do because we are quenching him, the living water. When we let him live, we bring forth fruits of the Spirit. When we live ourselves quenching him, we have bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice. We have stealing we have lying, context of negative, sinful things right all around this declaration, this command. By the way, it's only as we are filled with him that we're able to bring forth fruits, to not do these things, and to do the things that are commanded. And as we continue here, this introduction continues over in chapter 5 and verse 18, where it says, and be not drunk with wine, the idea here in the concept of wine is that thing which takes and removes our, our sobriety, our understanding, and this, the, hence causing us to kind of lose control of ourselves. We don't really have the right control of ourselves, so we're not supposed to be filled with wine that does that. We're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God then who fills us, that is, that we yield to him and let him take control, which is actually going to result in sobriety, which that word in its fullest meaning doesn't mean that you're just not drunk. It means that you have understanding, you have your faculties, you have a right perspective on life. Be filled with the Spirit, which then reminds us of Galatians, the letter that's in your Bibles just before Ephesians, where it's declared to us, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You and I, when we believe on Jesus Christ, we receive living water that flows forth from us. We receive the seal of the Holy Spirit, the earnest of the Holy Spirit. We receive His strength. Do we walk in him? See, the Holy Spirit is not just some doctrine that's in theological books. He is not some doctrine that's just in a sermon that sounds nice. He is a real living person that lives inside of the Christians. And we have a choice day by day as to whether or not we will walk in him. That doesn't mean that when we get up and we walk. Well, it, it can mean that. It, it does mean the sense that we, some, without Christ. Without his spirit, we can do nothing. Even sometimes when you realize how frail our bodies are, even walk. But it's how we live our lives in everything that we do as we are taking the paths of life. Are we doing it in him, in the spirit of God? Or are we doing it in our lusts? Are we those things that we desire? Are we doing it in our flesh, those things that just are what make our flesh feel good? Or are we making decisions and actually living in him? The scriptures here declare in Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he goes on to describe some of these, these sins for he makes it clear that the flesh lusteth against the spirit 
we have a choice here. We have the glorious reality and truth of the Spirit of God living within us. Will we walk in Him or will we walk in ourselves? Will we let the rivers of water flow from us or will we quench it? We have that choice and it will make a difference in all of our lives. So often, our temptations with sin and how we deal with sin and how we deal with other problems in life comes back to this question. How do we live in the Spirit or not? It all comes back to this incredible truth. When we are filled with the Spirit, when we are walking in Him, look with me at Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, when we live in Him, what does it bring forth? What do these rivers of living water bring forth? Fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, that is strength under control, temperance, that is under the control of the Spirit, Against such, there is no law. Now again, we have the Holy Spirit. He shall never depart. And that's what we profess in our statement. But notice that as it is in this context here, in verse 24, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The declaration is true. We have received the Holy Spirit of God. We live in Him. It is because of Him we have life. Do we walk in that reality? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. Fill us. Fill us. May we walk in your spirit. May we yield to your spirit. May we truly crucify the affections of our lusts, our own desires and passions. May they be the result of us delighting in you. And Lord Jesus, may we truly as a people who are hopelessly dying of thirst daily, find life in your spirit. For you, dear Spirit of God, are indeed rivers of life. I pray that we would live in you. I pray that this river would flow forth, that it would impact those around us, that you, Lord Jesus, might be glorified. We need you today. We commit ourselves to you. And we pray in your name. Amen. This morning I ask you to meditate on this question. Do you live in the Spirit? That is, have you received the Holy Spirit of God? You receive it by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is, have you received the Holy Spirit of God? And then the next question, will you purpose 
to walk in the Spirit. And by the way, it's more than just purposing. It is a daily, living, vital connection to this Spirit of God. So as Lincoln comes and leads us in a hymn, I encourage you to praise God that you have the Spirit. And if you don't, may you do something about it today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ.